0: It was a foggy day, July the 4th, 1952, as Florence Chadwick attempted to do something that no woman had ever done. See, she wanted to swim from Catalina Island off the coast of California all the way to the coast. It was 21 miles. And again, I say uh, no woman had ever done that before. Well, there were two alongside of her, her trainer and her mom, both in a boat to offer encouragement and instruction. And then there was another little boat coming alongside uh, with some men with guns to try to shoot any sharks that might get too close. And she swam and swam through the fog of that day, 15 hours and 55 minutes until she finally came out of the water. Yes, she quit. She, she gave up. She threw in the towel that way, day, as it were, and she said, I did not quit because I was cold, although she was. I did not quit because I was tired, although she certainly was very tired. She said, I quit because I could not see the shoreline. And friends, she quit just a half mile from the goal. Three months later, on a clear day, she came back and tried it again. And that day, she swam it in two hours less than any man had done so. You know, to accomplish any goal, to be successful in any endeavor requires persistence. It requires keeping our eye on the goal. It means that when you get knocked down, you've got to get back up. It means that when you fail, you can't be afraid to get up and try again. Start over, no matter how discouraged you might have felt. Oh, yes, in the Christian life, the world, the flesh, and the devil will conspire against you to bring you down. To discourage you and make you want to quit. But Jesus wants to build positive persistence in our lives. The Apostle Paul said we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not despairing. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Boy that is a picture of perseverance if there ever was one. And his life reflected that as he continued to pursue the goal for the high calling that Christ Jesus had given him. Now let me ask you, does it surprise you that persistence is a big theme in the Christian life? I I hope not. G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. People find that this walk is not as easy as maybe someone gave them the impression it was, and so people are tempted to give up. God wants to build persistence, and in no endeavor is that more important than in prayer. I don't know if that surprises you or not, but some might think since God already knows what we need before we ask him, why would persistence in prayer be important? Friend, I want to say to you this morning, there are some battles in your life that will not be won apart from persistence in prayer. You've got to press on. You've got to go on. You've got to keep moving and keep seeking God in prayer. Some of you who've maybe read the Bible a lot, particularly the book of Exodus, You know, there's a wonderful story tucked there in chapter 17 about uh, Moses and two of his colleagues named Aaron and Hur. Hur is spelled H-U-R. Think of Ben-Hur. They're not the same, but it's spelled the same way. uh, Hur is the guy's name. And there's a battle going on down on the plain. And Joshua and his army are locked in a fierce battle with their arch enemies, the Amalekites. And up on the hillside, no obvious connection between the two, are Moses and his two friends, Aaron and Hur, and Moses is engaged in intercessory prayer. His uplifted hands are symbols of that prayer. Again, no obvious connection between the battle going on down there in real life, tangibly with weapons, and the prayer battle going on up on the mountain. But it was Moses, through persistent prayer, that won the victory for God's people that day. Listen to Exodus 17. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, now remember the uplifted hands are a symbol of that persistent intercessory prayer, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and her held up his, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. (laughs) It's actually humorous, really, that the key to the battle lay, not down on the plain, but with three octogenarians, Moses, Aaron, and her, up on the hillside, engaged in persistent prayer. What an encouragement that ought to be to older believers who maybe feel they can no longer be on the front lines, down there on the plane, fighting in the battle, engaged in frontline ministry, perhaps, but they can be involved in the brilliant ministry of intercessory prayer, which wins the victory. But it should also be a powerful reminder to all of us, no matter what our age, That it's the weaponless hands of persistent prayer that make all the difference. So let's jump into this parable today that Jesus told. We we find it in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. And I want us to see what we can learn about how God wants to build persistence into our lives. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town that kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. She just kept saying this, grant me justice, grant me justice against my adversary. She would not let it go. She was persistent. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, (laughs) even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Now, when you think of a judge, you probably think of a courthouse. Probably not a good idea. The courthouse here was a moving tent. It was portable. And it would be set up in towns and villages, in the jurisdiction of this judge. And anybody could come and observe. The courtroom, you might say, was just open to anyone. But only those who were approved and accepted could have their cases tried. So you can see how that would lend itself to bribery. You would bribe an assistant so that he would bring the case to the judge's attention. Now, as you know, Jesus taught in parables, and he used parables of comparison a lot. He said, the kingdom of God is like. That is a parable of comparison. But Jesus also used parables of contrast, where the focus was not on how something is similar, but how it is different. This parable today is a parable of contrast. He's saying, essentially, this is the opposite. This is the opposite of the way God is. I stress that up front because you've got to keep that in your mind or you're going to come to some really wrong conclusions. Now, this poor woman in our story, you've got to feel for her. She's got three strikes against her. She's a woman. She's a widow. And she's quite poor. And in this ancient culture, women had little clout and influence, and widows were the most helpless of all and were often taken advantage of. And someone had treated her unjustly. I wish we knew what it was. We don't know. I mean, was she robbed? Was she physically assaulted? Uh, Did someone slander her character? What was this injustice that went on? Was she swindled? We simply don't know. What we do know is that she needed justice, and she needed it so badly that she was willing to shamelessly press the point until she got the justice that she deserved. Another major character, of course, in this story that Jesus told is the judge himself. Jesus said that he neither feared God nor cared about people. What a sad commentary that is, huh? On a public servant. Here's a guy who's forgotten his calling. Here's a person who has forgotten the nobility that's needed and the fairness and the honor that's needed from a judge, someone in his position. He's lost touch with all that. This guy is cold and calculating, but eventually he gets worn out by this woman's persistence. And he finally gives in and grants her his wish. But mind you, he did not do it because it was the right thing to do. He did not do it because he cared about her. <laughs> no, this guy, he, he really did it for himself. He was just tired of being bothered, and so he finally caved in and granted her justice. Jesus goes on in verse 6, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Now, again, let me remind you, it's a parable of contrast. Jesus is not comparing God our Father to this cold, calculating, selfish judge. That's not the point. What he's saying is, if a heartless judge will eventually relent and do the right thing, how much more? How much more can we depend on our loving Heavenly Father to do the right thing in answering our prayers. Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verse 11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, there's that phrase again, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? My friends, the Bible gives us a glowing and warm invitation to come to our Heavenly Father because He is not reluctant. Unlike this relentless, cold-hearted judge, our Heavenly Father is not reluctant to give us justice. He wants to give good gifts to His children. What an invitation to prayer. A woman locked her keys in her car in a busy downtown area, and she She just didn't know how to get the car unlocked, and so she went into a nearby store, and the guy handed her a metal coat hanger, and he said, here, you can get it open with this. Well, she had never done that before, and she had no idea what to do, and the manager was so busy, he just went back to waiting on customers, and so she went back out holding that metal coat hanger, not knowing what in the world to do with it, and she decided, well, I'm just going to pray about this. And so, right there, out on the public street, with all the busyness, holding a coat hanger, she said, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I got to get my car open. Would you please send someone to help me? And right at that moment, a rough looking character with these sort of coveralls on walked up. He saw what was going on and he said, Can I help you? She explained the situation. The guy took the metal coat hanger, put it into the slightly cracked window. He had fashioned a little hook on the end, and he almost without any effort just lifted the lock right up, and the woman was into her car. And the woman was elated. She said, wow, you are such a good person, sir. You must be a Christian. He said, no, ma'am, I'm not a Christian, and trust me, I'm not a good person either. He said, I just got out of prison For Car theft and the woman gave him a big hug and she said praise the Lord praise the Lord I asked for help and God sent me a professional (laughs) Now I want to tell you folks God doesn't usually answer that quickly or that dramatically Have you ever been there? Sometimes you pray You feel hopeless, helpless. You feel like you're in a mess, and the heavens seem silent. As someone said, God answers prayer in four ways. Yes, no, wait, and you've got to be kidding me, right? (laughs) Sometimes we find ourselves in a waiting posture. So here's the big question for the day. What do we do then? When God's answer seems to be delayed, and maybe you're convinced that, you know what, this request is appropriate, there's nothing wrong with it. It's honorable, it's noble, it's well intended, the motives are good, but you still have to delay. What are we to make of that? What are the benefits? And that's what I want to talk with you now for the minutes we have remaining. What are the benefits of persisting in prayer? And I believe this is as relevant as any issue with which we grapple. Because I'm talking to people right now, young and old and everywhere in between. I'm talking to people and you have a desire. You have something that you've been bringing before God. You've been asking God about it. You've been yearning, desiring, praying. And so far... You don't see the breakthrough. What are the benefits of persistence? I quickly want to mention three because I'm convinced that there are victories and battles in your life that will not be won apart from persistence in prayer. So what is God often up to here? What are the benefits in persistent prayer? Benefit number one, it allows us time to examine our motives. Now, I'm going to say more about this next weekend, so I just want to touch on it now. But, folks, when you read Scripture, you see that motives are a huge part in the Christian life. And when I get slowed down and examine my motives, I often have to admit that actually they're quite selfish. Let me tell you, God wants all of us to get to the point in our prayer life and what we're yearning for where we could honestly say with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, listen to this now, this is amazing. This this could be one of those verses you put on a plaque in your home. It would be a good candidate for that. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Can you say that? Can you say that you seek, God's glory and his glory alone in everything that you do. You see, when prayers, when the answer is delayed, it gives you time to ask, why, am, why do I want this anyway? What is my motivation? Is my request selfish? Is it misguided? And again, that's important because one day, according to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, God is going to judge Our very motives, not just what we did, but why we did it. And here's what I want you to take away today. When you have the greatest sense that your motives are to glorify God, let me tell you, you can pray with bold and shameless persistence. Let me tell you a great illustration from Martin Luther's life. It was 1540, and Martin Luther's good friend, Frederick myconius what a great name, huh? Frederick Myconius was ill, near to the point of death. And both Myconius and his friends thought he was going to die. He thought death was very near. And one night, he wrote with trembling hand a fond farewell letter. He thought it would be the last letter he ever wrote to his friend Martin Luther. And when Luther received the letter, he sent back the following reply immediately. And it is basically in the form of a prayer. I command thee in the name of God, to live. Imagine saying this to your good friend who's on his deathbed. I command you to live because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and may my will be done because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Are you kidding me? Wow. Is that a bold prayer or what? Now, when Myconius got that, he had already lost the faculty of speech. But in a short time, after that letter arrived, he was well again, just as Luther had prayed, and he survived Luther by two months. Hear me today, friend. Nothing will make your prayer so bold. It's when you can look, As it were, God in the eye and say, Lord, I seek nothing but your honor and glory. That is a recipe for bold and shameless prayer. A second benefit of persistence in prayer is that we find our own attitudes and behaviors changing for the better. Hey, can I tell you something that I hope you'll take away with you today? God is not like a grand vending machine in the sky. A cosmic vending machine with all the goodies and prayer is meant to be a way to punch all the right buttons so that we can get good things from God. Boy, I tell you, if I knew everybody would just understand that and take that away today, I'd be one happy preacher, let me tell you. Because it seems that's the way many of us treat prayer and treat God prayer is just a way to get things from God no 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 prayer is an exercise in soul transformation God's not in the business of just giving things although as we've already seen today he loves to give good gifts to his children are you still listening He's more interested in who you're becoming than in what he's able to give you. Let me say that again. Some of you over here missed that. A couple of you over here missed it as well. God is more interested in who you're becoming than in the specific gifts that he gives to you. And so persisting in prayer allows us to wrestle with God. It allows God to work humility and patience into our lives and lots of character. I'm reminded of Jacob who wrestled with God at a place called Peniel. And Jacob, as he wrestled with God in prayer... He went out of that experience a different man. What a powerful illustration that is for all of us. God wants your prayer life to change you, sister. Brother, let me tell you something. God wants to change you and me when we pray. That's the biggest point of prayer. It changes us as we wrestle with God. Genesis 32. I saw God face to face, Jacob said, Have you ever had that kind of encounter with God? Have you ever boldly come to God like Jacob did and said, Lord, I will not let you go unless you bless me? George Whitfield prayed a prayer like that. He said, Lord, give me souls or take my soul. Do <laughs> you understand what hes saying? give me people that I'm able to win to you or just take me out of here, Lord, early. John Knox prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. Have you ever had something that was so heavy on your heart, friend, that you prayed that kind of bold prayer and as it were, you would not be denied. Adoniram Judson is one of the most respected missionaries in missions history. He persisted and persisted sharing the gospel. He was a great man of prayer. And I quote you what he says about persistent prayer. He uses a word, importunate, here. You probably, I bet you didn't use it this week. It means a shameless persistence. Listen to what he says. God loves importunate prayer so much that he will not give us much blessing without it. And the reason he loves such prayer is that he loves us. And knows that it is a necessary preparation for our receiving the richest blessings. He is waiting and longing to bestow. It is a necessary preparation. And then he concludes the statement this way. "All oh, this is good. It's staggering to think of. He says, I never prayed sincerely and earnestly for anything. But it came at some time. No matter at how distant a day, somehow, in some shape, probably the last I would have devised, it came. Now let me ask you, what would that mean for those of you who are praying for a godly mate? What about those of you, what would this look like for those of you who are seeking vocational direction? What about those of you who've been yearning and longing for that breakthrough in your life? What would this mean? Adoniram Judson said, I've never prayed for anything persistently, earnestly, but that it did not come at some time, in some way, at some point, but often in a way I would have never expected. God brings the answer. But his main desire is to transform people like you and me. And above all today, friend, remember, if you're discouraged today and you've been praying about something, you want to see God give you that breakthrough, please remember this. Oh, this is a gem. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays of love and care are simply because he wants the best for you. And he's got a great plan that he's working out. But there's one final benefit I just want to highlight before we wrap up today. It instills in us a dependence on God. We live in a world where people are proud of being self-dependent. I'm my own person. I can do it. I've got the power. I've got the ability. It's within me. Will God bless your soul if that's you? Because that's about a million miles away from the biblical attitude God wants to build. What is God looking for? What kind of attitude? He's looking for a humble dependence on God. Now, if you heard weakness in that, you totally misunderstood it. A humble dependence on God is a meek spirit. And meek does not mean weak. Meek means power under control. Meek is that stallion at the racetrack with rippling muscles, but it's power under control. That's what God is looking for, a humble, meek dependence on him. And I'm asking you straight today, does that describe you? You see, when we get exactly what we want immediately, right when we want it, it doesn't tend to foster humble dependence on God, does it? (laughs) That's why the Apostle Paul wrote those beautiful words in 2 Corinthians 12. He talked about the thorn in the flesh, and he said, three times I beseech the Lord to take it away. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? It means that God was working this dependence in Paul, a dependence on God. And later Paul writes, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Catch these words. Because when I am weak, get this, then I am strong. When you have to persist in prayer, when the answer doesn't come immediately, it's a poignant reminder to you and me, hey, I'm dependent on God here. God's not my cosmic vending machine where if I just punch the right buttons, say the right little magical words, pour a little spiritual pixie dust on it, I can make God jump like a puppet, get anything I want. God's interested in the relationship. It's about a relationship with the mighty God of this universe. What a privilege that is. Is God working that humble dependence in you? I heard a story I just love. It comes from Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks, the late Howard Hendricks, was a wonderful professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for many years. He was a popular speaker at men's conferences and leadership conferences and, and a well known mentor of a lot of leaders in our world today. He tells a story about a church he was a part of in Dallas. And he said, we were having trouble finding a teacher for a junior high boys class. A li- the list of prospects for possible teachers only had one name on it. And when they told me wh- who it was, Hendricks said, I said to myself, you've got to be kidding me. It c- he said, I couldn't have been more wrong about that young man. He took the class and revolutionized it. I was so impressed. Hendricks said, I invited him to my home for lunch one day and I asked him the secret of his success. He pulled out a little black book and on each page he had a small picture of one of the boys in the class and under the boy's name were comments like having trouble in arithmetic or comes to church against his parents' wishes or he'd like to be a missionary someday but doesn't feel he's up to it. All these little personal comments that these boys had shared with him about what was going on in their hearts and minds. And he said to Dr. Hendricks, I pray over these pages every day. And because I pray every day for these boys, I can hardly wait to come to church each Sunday to see what God has been doing in their lives i tell you, folks, when you've got that kind of prayer relationship with God, when you're pressing into the Lord, when you keep bringing that difficult marital situation that doesn't seem to be changing, when you keep bringing before God that financial struggle and say, Lord, give me the wisdom to see through this, when you keep bringing to God that desire for that breakthrough, I want to tell you, in God's perfect timing, he's going to bring the answer. But in the meantime, He's changing you and me. So, prayer's the starting point. Prayer's the starting point. Prayer is the glorious starting point for drawing near to God. Henry Blackaby is a popular writer. And he says about prayer, as he's talking to people about trying to not get so caught up in the mechanics of prayer that they miss the purpose of prayer. He says, and I quote, if you do not have clear instruction from God in a matter, then pray and wait. Depend on God's timing. His timing is always right and best. Don't get in a hurry, Blackaby says. He may be withholding directions to cause you to seek him more intently. Don't try to skip over the relationship to get on with the doing. God is much more interested in a love relationship with you than he is in what he, you can do for him. Incredibly well said. So i want to close today with the phrase that Jesus closed with in the parable. I've not even read it to you yet today, but to me, it's the question of all questions. I want us to leave with this ringing in our ears and with a ready answer on our lips. Here's what Jesus said. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What about it? Will he find faithfulness and faith in you? Will he find that kind of committed faith and faithfulness in me? I hope we'll leave her today with a resounding answer on our, on our lips, yes, Lord, yes. Keep building that faith in me as I continue to seek you with all my heart. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward as we receive our tithes and offerings. And as they do so, please join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that you are...